Section 5 of Letters of Mrs. Adams, Volume 1, by Charles Francis Adams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sue Anderson. Section 5, The Memoir, Part 3, 1775. The second meeting of the Congress, which took place in May, 1775, was marked by events which wholly changed the nature of its deliberations. Up to that period, the struggle had been only a dispute. It then took the more fearful shape of a war. Mr. Adams left his house and family at Braintree on the 14th of April, only five days before the memorable incident at Lexington, which was a signal for the final appeal to arms. The news of the affair reached him at Hartford on his way to Philadelphia. General Gage had planned his attack upon Lexington with the knowledge that John Hancock and Samuel Adams, two of the delegates to the General Congress, were in that place at the time. And it was probably one of his objects to seize them if they could be found. Gordon, the historian, attributes their escape only to a friendly warning given them by a woman residing in Boston, but unequally yoked in politics. There was nearly the same reason for apprehension on the part of John Adams. His house was situated still nearer to Boston, could be more easily approached by water, and his family, if not he himself, was known to be residing there. Under these circumstances, what the feelings of Mrs. Adams left with the care of four small children, the eldest not ten years of age, must have been, may readily be conceived. But the letters in which she describes them bring the idea home to the mind with still greater force. She tells us that, upon the separation from her husband, her heart had felt like a heart of lead, and that, she never trusts herself long with the terrors that sometimes intrude themselves upon her, that, since the never-to-be-forgotten day of his departure, the 14th of April, nothing had agitated her so much as the news of the arrival of recruits, and that she lives in continual expectation of alarms. Neither were these apprehensions altogether groundless. The letter of the 4th of May mentions that Colonel Quincy's family, whose residence was nearer to the waterside than hers, had taken refuge for one night with her. That of the 24th gives a highly vivid picture of the consternation into which the whole town was thrown by a party of British foraging upon an island in the harbor close upon the town. Then follow the account of the battle on Bunker's Hill and the burning of Charlestown, dreadful events to those in the immediate vicinity of Boston and to herself. Yet in the midst of them, the writer adds that she is distressed but not dismayed, and that she has been able to maintain a calmness and presence of mind, and hopes she shall let the exigency of the time be what it will. But it is superfluous to endeavor to heighten the picture given in the letters with so much distinctness. Mr. Adams seems to have been startled on the arrival of the intelligence at Hartford. Conscious, however, that his return would rather tend to add to than diminish the hazard to which his family was exposed, 
he contented himself with writing encouragement and at the same time his directions in case of positive danger in a cause which interests the whole globe he says at a time when my friends and country are in such keen distress i am scarcely ever interrupted in the least degree by apprehensions for my personal safety i am often concerned for you and our dear babes surrounded as you are by people who are too timorous and too much susceptible of alarms many fears and jealousies and imaginary evils will be suggested to you but i hope you will not be impressed by them in case of real danger of which you cannot fail to have previous intimations fly to the woods with our children mr adams very well knew to whom he was recommending such an appalling alternative the very idea of which would have been intolerable to many women the trial mrs adams was called to undergo from the fears of those immediately around her was one in addition to that caused by her own apprehensions a trial it may be remarked of no ordinary nature since it demands the exercise of a presence of mind and accuracy of judgment in distinguishing the false from the true that falls to the lot of few even of the stronger sex it is the tendency of women in general to suffer quite as much anxiety from the activity of the imagination as if it was in every instance founded upon reasonable cause but the sufferings of this remarkable year were not limited to the mind alone the terrors of war were accompanied with the ravages of pestilence mr adams was at home during the period of adjournment of the congress which was only for the month of august but scarcely had he crossed his threshold when the dysentery a disease which had already signified its approach in scattering instances about the neighborhood of the besieged town of boston where it had commenced assumed a highly epidemic character and marked its victims in every family a younger brother of mr adams had fallen among the earliest in the town but it was not till his departure for philadelphia that almost every member of his own household was seized the letters written during the month of september seventeen seventy five besides being exclusively personal are too uniformly mournful in their tone to be suitable for insertion in full in the present collection yet it would be failing to give an accurate idea of the character of mrs adams to omit a notice of them altogether a few extracts reserved for this personal narrative have been thought likely to answer the purpose better than if they were submitted in full to the public eye on the eighth of september she commences thus since you left me i have passed through great distress both of body and mind and whether greater is to be my portion heaven only knows you may remember isaac was unwell when you left from home his disorder increased until a violent dysentery was the consequence of his complaints there was no resting place in the house for his terrible groans he continued in this state nearly one week when his disorder abated and we have now hopes of his recovery two days after he was sick i was seized in a violent manner had i known you were at watertown i should have sent bracket for you 
I suffered greatly between my inclination to have you return and my fear of sending, lest you should be a partaker of the common calamity. After three days an abatement of my disease relieved me from that anxiety. The next person in the same week was Susie. Her we carried home and hope she will not be very bad. Our little Tommy was the next, and he lies very ill now. Yesterday, Patty was seized. Our house is a hospital in every part, and what with my own weakness and distress of mind for my family, I have been unhappy enough. And such is the distress of the neighborhood that I can scarcely find a well person to assist me in looking after the sick. On the 16th, after saying that her letter will be only a bill of mortality, and that, of all the members of her household, only one had escaped the disorder, she says, The dread upon the minds of people of catching the distemper is almost as great as if it was the smallpox. I have been distressed more than ever I was in my life to procure watchers and to get assistance. We have been four Sabbaths without any meeting. Thus does pestilence travel in the rear of war, to remind us of our entire dependence upon that being who not only directeth the arrow by day, but has also at his command the pestilence which walketh in darkness. So uncertain and so transitory are all the enjoyments of life, that were it not for the tender connections which bind us, would it not be a folly to wish for a continuance here? On the 25th she mentions the illness of her mother. I sit down with a heavy heart to write you. I have had no other since you left me. Woe follows woe, and one affliction treads upon the heels of another. My distress in my own family having in some measure abated, it is excited anew upon that of my dear mother. Her kindness brought her to see me every day when I was ill, and our little Thomas. She has taken the disorder, and lies so bad that we have little hope of her recovery. On the twenty-ninth, it is allotted me to go from the sick and almost dying bed of one of the best of parents to my own habitation, where again I behold the same scene, only varied by a remoter connection. A bitter change, severer for severe. You can more easily conceive than I describe what are the sensations of my heart when absent from either, continually expecting a messenger with the fatal tidings. Then follows the letter of the 1st of October, which, as making the climax of her distress, is inserted at length in this volume. The following week, Patty, the female domestic mentioned as the other sick person, also died, after which there appears to have been no return of the disease. But among all the trying scenes of the War of the Revolution, it is doubtful whether any much exceeded this. The desolation of war is not so distressing, she writes, as the havoc made by the pestilence. Some poor parents are mourning the loss of three, four, or five children, and some families are wholly stripped of every member. Such as these are the kinds of trial of which history takes little or no note, 
yet in which female fortitude is most severely exercised. Without designing to detract from the unquestioned merit of that instrument, it must nevertheless be affirmed that the Declaration of Independence, called by the celebrated John Randolph a fanfaronade of abstractions, might very naturally be expected to reward the efforts of its signers with a crown of immortality, whilst the large share of the cost of maintaining it, wrung from the bleeding hearts of the women of the Revolution, was paid without any hope or expectation of a similar compensation. End of section 5